lot of people, they're really not. They only want to do halfway or half this, part-time, and it just, don't, it just doesn't work. So what I want to talk about today is something that I've taught before. I, told, I said Wednesday night, you know, we've re we're resetting right now. You know, I've taught these same things for a long time. And so really, we're all kind of in rehab right now. Let me tell you why. Because we fell off the wagon about the way we were with God. We were with God. We were on the wagon. We're, man, we're doing great. All of a sudden, unbelief, whatever, we fall off the wagon. And so you're, now we're all in rehab again and getting clean from the sins and stuff that we, and the carnal mind and the carnal nature and that slave nature of, and that slave-mindedness. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says God, he said, I'm going to go th with you through things. That means you're going to go through things. I don't care who you are, you're going to go through things no matter what. He don't always get you over them, but see, we want, to get, we want them to be over with. How can we not be happy, happy people if we really believe that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and to them that call, are called according to his purpose? How can we not say, okay, well, i got stuff going on in my life, but guess what? It's all going to work together for my good. How can you not be happy? That don't mean the circumstances make us happy, but we know that God is in control. So all, here we go, all these things, all these, and all through history, all of a sudden, there's one thing that changed my life and your lives, and that is the doctrine and the true biblical definition and teaching on the word hell. Rock my world. Did it rock your world? Hold me up. And when that happened, all of a sudden, everything changed. And some of you were here the night the angel came through this room and knocked me on my fanny right there, and I was out cold and deposited something in me, and that was the ability to hear. And he's put in my heart a desire and the ability to receive the truth. But he didn't just give it to me. I had to seek, knock, ask. One of the things about Revelation of Hell we understand what it really is. I learned this, that no man has ever been saved by fear, nor will he ever be. And that's exactly what we know the Roman church did. They put fear on people to develop something. Of course, they, out of Dante's Inferno, they used that whole real popular movie series, if you want to call it that, or book, that everybody in, in that culture was exposed to, even those that couldn't read, and they had his description of hell, the Catholic Church took that, and they began to, do, to teach that about hell being this place of torment. And if you don't do what we say, guess what we're going to do? We're gonna, you're going to burn in hell forever. Well, these people had such miserable lives anyhow. No air conditioning. No McDonald's. They didn't have a big screen TV. They were miserable. Didn't have electricity. You know the story. They didn't care if they died or not. Went to hell or whatever. So then they said, I said, we're going we're gonna to burn you by fire at the stake if you don't believe what we say and do what we say. And that principle has gone down through the years of people wanting and trying to get people to get saved and manipulating them by threat of death or torture. We have our own ways to do it. Okay, if you don't do it, guess what's going to happen? The fact is, and I want you to hear this, and I've taught on this, and there's plenty of teaching on it, is that we are no longer under the law. I am not a son of Moses. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm not, I am now under grace. Now, that may surprise you to hear me say that because I've preached against that so long, but it's not that I'm against it. I've already preached this part of this message, some of this message already to you to try to get us to understand what we must be and what we must 
do and in other order to get a well done. A lot of people are confused about what it takes to get a well done and what we should do or not do. We're under, we're under grace. Let me tell you what a dead work is. The very first thing we are to repent of is dead works. A dead work is doing something because you're made to do it instead of doing it and then start doing having a living work by doing it because you love God. You hear what I just said? If you are made to do something, if it's psychologically, if you're going to do this, if you're afraid you're going to be punished for it, or bad things are going to happen to you, and the fact is, that's true about a lot of things in a lot of areas, because the wages of sin is death no matter. But if the reason that you're doing things is, is because, <clears throat> excuse me, you're made to do it, and you don't want to do it because you love God, then it remains a dead work. And the first thing we need to repent of when we come to Christ, you got to repent, you got to believe the true gospel, and you got to be baptized. If you haven't been, if you've been baptized under the wrong gospel, you you your faith is is uh, misplaced. You ain't even got your your sins forgiven yet. So here we go. We got these three areas. That thing right there is you get to know from the get go. God don't want you to not do things because He's going to make you do it. He wants ultimately for us to obey Him and. Uh, and do what he wants us to do and not do what he don't want us to do because we love him. Thank you, Johnny, for giving me a precursor on that. A lot of people, you may not, some of you may not realize what I'm talking about here, but a lot of people think I'm a Messianic Jew. They believe I believe in Judaism but added Jesus to it because I say some Hebrew things. I can't say, help but say Hebrew things because the whole Old Testament, I mean, look, Yahshua himself was a Hebrew. But Judaism is as wrong as Islam and Christianity. And here's why. I'm not a Messianic Jew because they still believe in the law of Moses. You, some people are going to jump to conclusions and define what I'm saying by maybe a lack of knowledge. So just bear with me. The law of commandments ordained in ordinances were, was abolished by the death of Yahshua upon the cross. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. What did I say? The law of commandments contained in ordinances... When Yahshua died upon the cross, he abolished the commandments contained in ordinances. Why? Because they had fulfilled their purpose. Now, what I'm going to tell you, I'm quoting scripture here, okay? Just as a wife is discharged from the law of her husband when he dies, even so through the death of the body of Christ, men were discharged from the obligations of the Mosaic law. I got to throw this in. Because confused people means that believe this. I don't under law no more. I can still lie, commit adultery, take God's name in vain, which nobody really knows what it means, covet my neighbor. They, they, so it, but we're not, we're not discharged from the obligation. The irony is this, that con to continue under the Mosaic order is to would be to break the seventh commandment. You can't continue under the law of commandments of ordinances. If you do, you're breaking the seventh commandment, which says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Because if we are now married to our new husband, Yeshua, but yet we're, we, we still are under the order of and the commands of our old husband, then that's adultery. Being married to Yeshua and still sleeping with Moses, you can't do it. So Moses condemned to death. Anybody who should disobey any of the Ten Commandments are its amendments. What do I mean? The Ten Commandments was God's laws, and he added nothing to them. And then the amendments was Moses' law under the Levitical covenant. 
I taught you this. The principle was the man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath, guess what they did to him? Killed him. He's just picking up sticks. That's not the point. He broke God's commandment, and he didn't respect who God was, and he just flippantly thought he could do whatever he wanted to do. It's the whole Cain thing that I've been trying to drill in us the past year, this past, for the, this part of the year. So the problem was not one person was capable of a spotless obedience. Nobody could keep the mosaic amendments of the Levitical priesthood. You can't eat that. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't wear this. You can't, you can't mingle this. You can't do all that. Nobody could keep it except one. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you better be glad there was one that could. They were called a ministration of death, written and engraven in stones. Moses' law was a ministration of death. And if they continued in force, our condemnation would be inevitable and our salvation impossible. Why? Because the fact is, the statutes and the law and the ordinance of Moses were never designed to save you. Now, just like first fruit offering, you have to go through a mind change. And so probably the mind change is this. When people define things from their present understanding, it prevents them from moving on to a greater understanding. So I have friends, when they first heard, saw me posting on Facebook, this whole group of Messianic Jews jumped on my Facebook and they loved me. Feast of Israel, all this stuff, man. I mean, and I had one guy who was really pushing it for me. He, man, that's Johnny. This is what Johnny wrote. Look what Johnny Sanogo wrote. Boo, boo, boo. I mean, I got all these friends these, until I continued. And they got mad at the fact that I said that this. That we are no longer under the commandments and the statutes and ordinances of Moses. I said, why do you have a problem with that unless you don't believe the Bible? That's not what, I read that out of the Bible. You know, like I just made it up. And the Bible says this. If anyone contends that Moses' laws and statutes and commandments and ordinances are still binding as a legally required order... What the Bible says. You can't pick and choose. You have to take all of it. What does that mean? Including bloody sacrifices. You have to take annual treks to Jerusalem. You have to take the purification rituals. We have to only have one priest entering the Holy of Holies on our behalf. If anyone receives just one portion of this law as binding for justification... If you say, well, I'll take this part, to, and that's what me do, obeying that is what's going to justify me, you put yourself in a position of debt to all of them. This is what the Bible says. How many of you say, I hear what you're saying? I hear what you're saying. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying that I'm going to tell you how you can really do the right thing and be free and what God's desire really is. How do you know that, Johnny? Well, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. That's hard. But though the covenant of Sinai, when I tell people this is the Sinaitic covenant, it's how God would dealt with people at that time only. That don't mean that his laws were ever abolished. No. Those ten are throughout every covenant. But though the covenant is done away in Christ, the Mosaic covenant was not a failure because it did what? It accomplished everything Yahweh intended for it to do. Wait just a minute. I know some of y'all watching me are going to put me in your modern Christian's little box of ignorance 
and limited understanding of grace versus the law. And I understand it because that's all you know. That's all I was taught. There is a new law. So don't tell me I'm not under the law anymore. I say, oh, no, there's a new law. There's a greater law that believers come under. And it revives Yahweh's rules, not the Mosaic rules. Don't eat this. Now, listen, some of y'all are going to have shrimp today. You can't do that if you are under the, the commandments of Moses. Some of you are going to eat barbecue, pork. Can't do it. It's just as wrong as any other sin under that covenant. Are you hearing me? What are, you, what are we going to do? The law that I'm preaching is way greater and stronger and more efficient in form than Moses' law was, as hard as it was. But Yahweh, though stronger, nobody, listen close, who obeys God's by God by enforced laws, nobody will inherit the kingdom of God. That's being under the law. You can't be forced to obey and inherit the kingdom. So now that we're no longer under the enforcement of God's law, all those who keep God's law, uh, keep his laws, they do it because they love him and they want to, and it's those people who will inherit the kingdom. They fulfill the same laws, but they have a desire and a love, and they want to do it. They're not doing it because they're being made to do it. You know what I'm saying? Wake, wake, wake up. Hallelujah. Listen to clo close to me. I know this from experience, from the scriptures, and from other people through history. See, people tell me, you're not, I'm not under the law. I am. I'm under the law of love. It's the greatest law there is. You hear me? The greatest law there is is the law. Now, I ain't talking about love American style. I'm talking about love, God's love. There is no other power that is able to stop someone from sinning except love. You can force it all you want. The only power that's going to make you Quit sinning and start obeying God is love. Love is powerful. How many of your love will make you do stupid stuff? Even puppy love will make you do some stupid stuff. On it. I mean, just other than my wife's over there saying, yeah. <laughs> Yahweh and his angels are just watching to see now, okay, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you under grace now and not under a law. We're not going to enforce or do anything. Now, go for it and let's see who loves us. Let's see who loves me, Yahweh said. Oh, wait, okay. Well, there's no law now. There's no law. Let's say we, let's say we take away all the laws in the land. And, and robbing gas stations isn't a law anymore. It's not against the law to rob a gas station. But, we, but it's wrong. Let's step back and see who we got here. Let's, see, let's find out who you really are. Oh, you're going to, if, if it's the speed limit's 55 taken away on the interstate and you do 100, and 55, let's see, let's see who loves his laws, loves his way. Let's find out who we really are. And it happens when we remove the constraints. Like handcuffing a guy. And the guy says, hey, handcuff me. I'm not going to go anywhere. <laughs> trust me. Just handcuff me. Okay. I'm going to trust you. You walk away. Turn around. He's gone. He's looking for those that love him. And those that want to love him, want to serve him. I said they want to because of, I love you. I love your ways. I love your law. I love you. Yeah, I'm going to do it with the right thing. I don't, you ain't got to make me. You ain't got to make me not sin. You got to make me not lie. You got to make me not, not uh, sin. Let me just use sin because there's a whole broad spectrum there. You ain't got to force me not to. You don't have to put me in bonds and force me and pull me down to it like Charlotte used to do, Janet, make her eat old bread for the, threw up with the birds. You can trust me. I love you. 
You kidding me? You kidding me? The power of love is the only way you'll satisfy the commandments of Yahweh. You can't do it. If you don't love God, you will not perform what he wants you to do. You just can't decide, I'm going to do it. Because you build resentments and hatred and all those kind of things. This is what Yahweh said in John chapter 14. He said, look, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. It's the most powerful thing, one of the most powerful things I've ever read in my life. When I read it in the light of, really, there's no burning hell. If I want to go that far back. Johnny, simple. If you love me, you're going to do it. You know, if I love Bevy, I'm not going to commit adultery on her. If I love Bevy, I'm not going to sin against her. I love her. If I love you, I'm not going to do something that, that is a sin against those people that are my friends and that I love. You, what, you see what I mean? You can trust people who genuinely love. He who has command, my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Isn't that beautiful? Well, brother, I just don't feel God on my life. Well, maybe it's because they are no longer abiding in you because you don't love him. And he knows you don't love him because you won't keep his commandments. You keep sinning. I'm sorry I'm so demonstrative. I watched a man preach the other day that I think is a great preacher. If I say his name, you're not going to understand me. His name is Farrakhan. You know who Farrakhan is? Oh, you're talking about a, a communicator. Farrakhan, I, of course, I don't like much of what he says, but he says a lot of right things, too. My point is, he just stands up there in a bow tie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't even wear a bow tie. Always show me three levels. I don't think y'all received what I just said there when I said Farrakhan. So I need to stop and pray a minute. Yahweh, right now, help them understand what I just said. Amen. All right. My relationship with Yahweh came from a servant to a son to a friend. When you are a child and you just come and are begotten of God. You become, how many of you have ever heard this teaching before? Apios, Pation, Technon, Weos. Anybody heard that before? My God, developmental stages of, in the Greek of what God. When you're a child, you have to be made to obey. Hot, stop, quit, move, get down, don't run, watch out. Y'all know what it's like. Then we develop into sonship. You have a spiritual father, and you become a spiritual son, where you at least consider and let him speak into your life without being offended or halfway do it. Let me tell you this. If you ain't doing what I'm telling you to do, you ain't my spiritual son. We can, we can play the game if you want to, but we, I mean, the fact is, you know, uh, now if I tell you something stupid and wrong, that's one thing. But when I'm preaching this word as, as of what we're doing here in that dynamic, you should be trying to do what I say. Like the people at the restaurant. Hadn't seen a lady 25 years. She introduces everybody to me as her pastor. This ain't your pastor. I ain't seen you in 25 years. So that in sonship, let me tell you what, how he operates. He usually obeys, not necessarily out of love, but out of respect for his, for his heavenly father, or God's word, or the church, or the system, or the, the function of it, or the principle, or the concept, or, or whatever it may be. And, or how are he, the son who is part of a family, he will do things and obey God for his family's sake. In other words, I got to live this way so I can be an example for my children. I got to live this way so I can be an example for my wife. But still, he's doing it in a way that is honorable, I guess, and, not, and hopefully not uh, immoral. But the fact is, he, he will never be able to continue to do that. So a lot of times in our family becomes idolatry. 
And it prevents us from really moving to the place called friend, where you develop a relationship with Yahweh, where, he, where you love him, where you love him. You remember when I used to hear that song, I am a friend of God. No, you're not. I am a friend of God. No, you're not. I am a friend. You know, I know I'm sarcastic like that, but I want to tell you the truth is, you don't just say I'm your friend and you don't love him and you don't keep his commandments and you willfully sin. You are not a friend of God. A friend of God keeps my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I told you this, and I just wanted to throw it in. Joel reminded me Wednesday night, which is a beautiful night again. I leave here edified. You think adultery is bad? Spiritual adultery is way worse than adultery. You're cheating on, the, on God. And I believe that if it's not repented of, spiritual adultery, that adultery will repeat itself in some way, shape, or form in, in, your, in your life and in your relationships. It goes for everybody. People, that could happen to anybody. Spiritual adultery is a serious, serious, serious sin. Now, Johnny and them talked about tithing, and I'm going to speak a little, just a few more minutes, I think, about, but I'm going to say this, when you don't tithe, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When we don't love God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you about tithing. I'm going to do it real quick. Tithing is like yeast. You hear me? It permeates every aspect of your life. It'll affect everything. Every area. I love the fact when I hear somebody get up here and say, guess what? My marriage is better than it's ever been. And we were on the same page. And we were communicating. We love. Oh, I like that. You know why? Because that's a God thing. It's called the miracle of marriage. It's a God thing. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And guess what? He'll do for me what I want him to do for me. As it is in heaven on earth. My finances, boom. Let me tell you what, you don't need God to make money in America. True? You can make money, but I, I, I tell you what, it's better to make money loving God and doing it His way because then you don't have the responsibility and the pressure and the ambition and the worry and the fear because you know God is going to take care of you. Somebody ought to shout with that one. I might get Pentecostal here in a minute. And the beauty of it for the babies, for the babies, He sweetens the deal. He what? Take this medicine. Ever had a kid that don't like medicine? Huh? You're going to die. I don't care. Get away. I've seen some kids like that. I won't mention any names. Hey, what I'm going to do for you, little kiddies, if you'll do this one little thing as an act of obedience, I'll sweeten the deal for you. I'll open up the winds of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you're not able to receive. See, tithe is like a medicine that we need. It's like that spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. It's the medicine, and God said, I'll tell you what, because I'm after your heart, and I know if I ain't got your money, I ain't got your heart. People can say what they want to. I don't know why I waste my time with people who aren't serious about money. I mean, I just don't, I don't know, because if you're serious about something, if you want that car, I don't care. Can you do it for 40 years so I can afford the payment, but I want that car. I want it. If you want it, you're going to get it. It don't matter what. So husbands and wives, buckle down. It'll be sitting in your driveway or in your living room or somewhere pretty soon. But I'm going to say something to you this morning. I've said this to you before, but I'm going to tell you why I don't tithe. After all of that, I'm going to tell you why I don't tithe. And I know it's stupid to preach on this because some people can leave here and listen to me and say, aha, you don't tithe. Why, why you don't believe in tithing? No, just listen. 
I know there are people who don't hear the part about not tithing and can block out the rest of the message to justify they're not tithing. But the truth is this. Can you hear me today? Are y'all ready to hear this? Tithing is not the standard for giving under the other law, the new law. What is that called? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Yeshua. The law of the spirit of life in Yahshua. That's when, something, see, the Bible says that I have been delivered from the law of sin and death, and now am delivered by the, the law of the life of the, the, excuse me, the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua. See, we are under laws. How many of you know you're under law of gravity right now? See, there's laws out there. Tithing is really for those babies who have to be told what to do, and for those who are still under the ministration of death. I'm a tither. I get it. We teach it. We preach it. I've always preached it, but I've always preached this too. You're here. You probably heard it. It's for those still under the ministration of death. It's for those who give only for two reasons. Number one, the sugar. They're tithing because they want stuff. They want to get blessed. And of course you will. And number two, they tithe because they don't want to be cursed and of course you will so what are you saying johnny yahweh wants our giving to be out of our love for him and the things he wants done in the earth and it should be because we love him not because we're being made to you're probably gonna hear this in pulpits anywhere this year matthew 6 21 makes it real clear and i hope you can receive it in the context of what i'm saying where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. I spoke last week on the battle for our heart. Now, you can fake a lot of things. People can fake, oh, I love you, hallelujah, God. Oh, I for, oh, I forgive you, yes, I do. <laughs> Talk to him ever again. But you can't fake giving money. <laughs> you can't fake, oh, yeah, I gave him some money. No, either you did or you didn't. People may get mad at me or whatever side, but I'm going to give it to you straight today. That's how I do it. I don't know any other way just to give it to you straight. If you only give 10% or less of your income to Yahweh's work, it, what it does, it reflects a lukewarm heart toward Yahweh. I used to give 10% and I thought I was doing great, man. When I was young, man, they didn't really even tell me about, about tithing. They didn't really know about me. I, know what the, I knew it. I didn't really know it meant 10th when I was young, real young, raised in church, go places. I don't know. I just thought they had a, churches had a government grant or something. I don't know what I thought. People just gave, like, a 501c3, they gave charity. They gave, you know, to, uh, uh, like, the church was a, a poor place. They changed that, didn't they? I used to give 10%. I thought I was doing fine, man. I mean, I'd give it. I'd give it and then maybe some offering. Then I made the mistake. I've made this mistake so many times, and that's why I started studying the Bible. And i got to be honest with you. I decided that I was going to be a true believer. I'm either going to do it God's way or I ain't going to do it. That's just who I am. I discovered that God's word teaches that we should not tithe because God wants us to give generously and tithe is the bare minimum. So he said, okay, tithe is this, boom. I don't want you to tithe. I want you to give generously. I want you to give because you love me and you love my ways and you love the work and you love what we're doing. I, you, that you love, that's what I want you to give, not out of, that I'm going to have to make you give you a tithe and entice you with a spoonful of sugar so it can go down and you do it. And we do it. So here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. 
The fact is, I'm just scared to death to even say this. I'm just kidding. Tithing is a principle which was what the Bible calls, under the Mosaic law, a schoolmaster. We learned that God didn't like for you to steal under the Mosaic law. We learned that God didn't like you to mingle things. God, God taught us in, through Moses' law that he wanted you to honor his day and don't do and, and, and take his commandments lightly. All these things were a schoolmaster. So when we love God, we know what the rules are and what proves that we love him. A governor and a tutor until the appointed time of the father. It falls under the category of a Hebrew word that I have taught for my God. I don't know, since the first year, 1983. It's the word kerem. It's a Hebrew word. And it means something that is devoted to Yahweh. Something that belongs to him. Something that you shall not steal. Principle of first things, not putting other gods before him. Look, this is God's. I love your illustration. I tell you what we did with that first fruit offering. We started already saying, no, we're going to take care of this before we do that, before we do that, before we do that. We're going to do this first. That's what opens the path, the doorway, and the windows of heaven for blessing. That goes way beyond your bank account because I know plenty of people. They got plenty of money, and their life is in a total disarray. They're not happy, but they got plenty of money. Got nice homes, got cars, got it. Trying to not yell, but I got all this energy now. I don't yell at home. So the concept is this. And I think some of you probably need to do this for discipline because you're babies, spiritual babies. Tithing becomes a weekly payment to God. Okay, let's see. Bike bill, mortgage, car payment, tithe. There we go. And many times it makes people feel that, okay, I paid my dues. I'm a member for another month. That's all I need to do. I pay my dues. I, we don't get free water here at the gym. I pay my dues. I don't get free water. I mean, I don't get a locker. It makes a person think there's no more required. In fact, when we love something, we just don't make a weekly payment for it. When you have children, oh my God, it's just, it's not a weekly payment. It's a daily payment. You got grandkids, what is it? You just, I want this. I want that. I want the other. I want, 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 want. And you know what you do? True giving reveals our willing loving response to God's grace. And I think that tithing limits giving. I'm done. Okay. okay, here's God. Here it is. And I think this. I think most people get a lot. Not, I shouldn't hate most people because I don't think that's true about us. But I have seen people give tithe as a, okay, this, this is all I'm giving right here. This is, I'm, 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 I'm maxed out right here. And this it makes their life maxed out. Y'all, this ain't just a, this ain't about money. Are y'all understanding this about our heart? I've had people come in here. I'm going to say this. I've had people come in here that flash money to me. I'll tell you what. If I did anything, I treated them lower than I did the regular person. They put, they, money like they're going to impress me with something. And i got to tell you, they are long gone, and we're not. I'm going to do this. I'll do this. I'll do that. I can do this. I'll do that. I found out that people with the most money are... Cheaper and tighter than people that, that don't have so much. It's just the truth. I say, the more somebody gives, them, oh, got to tighten it down. The more they make, they tighten it down. Okay, sealing. And then we just sealed, sealing our lives. Tithing, I think, has a tendency to put a person 
on this legal basis with God rather than a love relationship. It's the wrong emphasis. Here we are. Here it is tied in the tent. We know that's the bottom line. I mean, you can't go beyond, below that. God's already showed us the standard from our schoolmaster, the Mosaic Law. He said, but I want to tell you, that's to show you what that's for. But I'm looking for people who love me. And that goes way beyond just money, y'all. Please understand that. I ask for three things here. Tithes, offerings, and first fruit offerings. I don't have building programs. I've asked for things, man. Do you know the, the, the national statistic that after COVID, 58% of church people never went back? 58%. So we had insurance. We have a pretty hunk in big insurance. You know, let's say this year is like 20 grand. That's a big hunk. Look around. Cash. Got to have it. Boom. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you something. And I say, look. And I don't, I don't take up a special offer, and I don't have cards printed out. I don't ask for pledges and fouls and all that kind of stuff. Hey, this is a need. If it's in your heart, I want to give you the opportunity. You know, our lights blew out because of this, and it's a long story. And if you, ever, if you ever dealt with insurance companies today, you'll know my frustration. Those people are liars. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? There's some crooked people right there now. And so, anyhow, we're getting lights fixed. Thank tomorrow morning, the electrician's coming in. It's hard to get good electricians and good people. It's hard to get them to work quick. They're going to fix the lights. My lighting guy's set ready. He's going to put these lights in. And we're going to have to get new ceiling lights later. But I ask, hey, if you can help with that, that's where we're at. And I appreciate it. But I don't have pledges and vows and all that. Tithing, offerings, and first fruit. That's why the Bible says in Malachi, you've robbed me. How? With your tithes and offerings. You have robbed me not only of your tithe, but you didn't have me given offerings too. And he's talking about our heart. Now, the word, the first fruits, it means the first in place or time, order, or rank. It means the beginning, the first or principal thing, the chief, the excellent, the forefront, the ruler, the sum top, the summit, the upper part, the primary, the best. First fruits, which belong to God, govern the rest and set the pattern for the promise to come. It shares the same root word. That we get the word firstborn from. The first fruit offerings signal the beginning of your yearly harvest. I used to do it at the first of the civil year in January. And you know, it was right after Christmas and all, but never bothered people, just believed it and they did it. And I believe Yahweh put it in my heart and said, I want you to do it at the beginning of the sacred year, which begins at Passover. And that's what we've come, and we've come as Passover, and you have 50 days till Pentecost. Where we, the, the, where we bring the sheaves to God. And we say, here they are, the first fruit. And it's that offering that you give to God that sets the course and orders the promise of, of harvest in your life. It positions us to receive the blessings that God wants. And remember, financial blessings are like yeast. It's like uh, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Leaven, thank you. The leaven, it permeates every aspect of your life. It, your health, your mental health, your children, your job, your business, your peace, your joy, your marriage. It permeates all of that and it prepares you to receive what God has promised from doing it. They used to gather the first fruits. It was, it was hard to do. Each family had to carefully watch for the first budding grains. And as soon as they got there, they had to go out. And they would designate it. They'd put a piece of red yarn around the branch or the limb or the vine or whatever it was. And as these crops 
matured and were harvested, those first fruits were brought to the temple and given to the priest. The priest would accept it and he'd give a wave offering above his head. Giving God thanksgiving and recognition again for his provision and blessing. I got to tell you, I wave mine before God and I want to wave yours before God this year. Once the offering of the first fruits been made, the people were free to now enjoy all that God's blessed, blessing them with. The Bible says that this principle of first fruit is found with first things. In Genesis, the carom was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. The children of Israel went to the promised land. Jericho was the first city. It was the carom. Don't touch it. But they did, and you see what happened to Achan, and you see what happened to Israel. They went to the next town. Jericho was a huge wall-enforced fortress, and God gave them victory. They get, they get to a little Ai, the little Ai, and that's funny, isn't it? artificial intelligence. I'm going to have to preach on that one. They went to the city of Ai, and guess what? This little town... They had to run with their tails tucked between their legs because they didn't have God's hand on them because somebody had touched the carom and had it hidden in his tent. The principle of first fruit is not limited to plants. Everybody tells me, well, we're not an agrarian society. Well, that's not necessarily so, but I get what you're saying. Exodus says, don't hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Even when Tamar, David's daughter, was in labor with Judah's twin sons, guess what? One of the sons put his hand out first, first fruit. And those firstborn twins were marked as given to God. Exodus 13, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the very offspring of every womb, all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem a lamb every firstborn, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Let me tell you what, God requires the right to everything first. And guys, if we don't get that, it ain't going to work for us. You're going to be striving and what you'll do is take into your own hands to try to make work by your work. And by your, your force, and by your laws, you're going to try to make things that God wants to just let flow into your life. And that's why people are tired and depressed and weary because they're trying to do things in their own ability and can't. And he claims every right. Listen to this. Every first is to be devoted to God through his covenant. And anytime something's called a first thing, it belongs to God. Listen to Exodus 22. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits. You can't delay to offer of your liquor. You can't afford to, I mean, you can't delay to offer the firstborn of your sons. The principle is that all first things belong to God. Y'all know that already, right? I'm going to end with this. When we don't put things first, then your life's out of order. It's common sense. Okay, what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the alphabet. A, take A and put it somewhere else. The whole thing is out of order. When things are out of order. If you go to a vending machine, it says out of order, and you put your, what is it now, $2 in, whatever it is, for or potato chips. You put your card in, and nothing comes out. I mean, you know that's your fault. It didn't work. It affects our life. On the other hand, when we put things first, your life can, and it will fall into place as it's supposed to. And just like Yahweh promised, when we 
are faithful to follow him, we can live an empowered life and we can be blessed. He wants our whole hearts. And when we serve Yahweh, his blessing, his peace, his victory, his wholeness is upon our lives so strong that everybody can see it. I feel like today in this time of resetting, when I, it was January I declared reset, right? We're resetting some things that maybe we've gotten lukewarm in, that we've fallen away from, and we let the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things take. Harvest for giving the Lord all your all is so abundant and rich. I can testify to it. Sometimes I wonder if, when something difficult happens to me, I wonder how, what it would be like if I hadn't done these things of obedience with God. What, how bad could it, would it have been, maybe? Give the Lord your first and the best in everything you do. And he, I believe he will reward you and your faith and your faith with wonderful things. God bless y'all for watching.